the 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 0111911. I need just a minute before we uh, continue with the show. We have been talking repeatedly these last few months about the parking situation in the downtown. And we have been pleading with the city council to do something, anything to preserve the downtown that we all love and cherish. Well, now here's another reason why mama's meatballs has been in the downtown forever in the creamery, nice little Italian restaurant. Guess what? They're leaving. They're moving out to the old upper crust space out there at Laguna Lake. Why are they going to Laguna Lake? Because of parking. They're losing customers because of the parking issue. So Mama's Meatballs joins the exodus of the downtown. Once again, we beg our city officials to take this issue seriously and address it to help the businesses that are choosing to remain. This is the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. It is Thursday, December 21st, 2023. Still to come, Stu Jenkins and Mike Nolan, attorneys extraordinaire at 505, explain the Colorado Supreme Court decision, claiming that Donald Trump cannot be on the state primary ballot. Hmm. Steve Reebuck at 605 has a new book out about the history of abalone diving off the coast of California. A perfect Christmas gift. Any book. Pretty much would be a perfect Christmas gift. What an introduction. Look who's here. Our bibliophile, the one, the only, Susan Hoffman. Susan, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Dave. How are you? I'm smiling. You are. I I was listening yesterday to you and Alan about smiling. What do you you think? You're a smiler? I like to smile. I think you and I smile about the same. But you just had a big smile and... That I always smile, smile when I see you. And so I'm happy to be here today. We're Thank always you for happy to have me. you here. Um, we're going to talk about books, as we always talk about. Um, but obviously, books make a good gift. Books make the best gift, according to me, yeah. because they last for a long time. You can buy something and give it as a gift that's not going to last very long. But there are books I've had since the 70s that are on my shelves that I treasure. But how do you decide? Uh, I mean, obviously, if people... Um, if people have a favorite author or they say, oh, I'd, I'd like to get that new book, that's an easy. But otherwise, how do you pick a book out as a gift? If you know the person that you're giving it to, then you know something about them. And you can ask a bookseller to help you. I worked in bookstores, and I loved those kind of questions. And I would say, tell me about your friend or your mother or your brother. And just hearing about the person there are books out there for everybody. Is it a cop-out if I just give a gift certificate? Like no. a volumes of pleasure or coalesce? No, I just gave a, okay. gift, a gift card to my sister-in-law. My brother asked for American Prometheus. 
he saw the movie Oppenheimer yeah. and he wanted to read that book, but he had no idea how big it was. So <laughs> he just opened it. They got the package in Illinois and he just opened it and he had no idea how big it is. That's but, about as big as the Streisand memoir. Right. Yeah. But he's going to attempt to read it. He loved the movie and he wanted to know more. My sister-in-law, I gave a card, a gift card to the Barnes & Noble. That's the main bookstore in Peoria, Illinois, is Barnes & Noble. So I gave a card. And she can go in and pick out her own book. And mm. she's very happy doing that. Good old Peoria. Both my brothers went to Bradley University. That's where my brother Spent taught. Spent many years visiting Peoria. Oh, Lord. Well, a play in Peoria. All right. So uh, whenever Susan joins us, she always does her homework. You've been checking in with our local bookstores. What can you report? I can report that all three bookstores that I usually call the two independents coalesce in Morro Bay, Volumes of Pleasure in Los Osos, and Barnes & Noble in downtown San Luis. All of them report good business. Yay. Aren't we happy about yeah. that? They're busy. Yeah. They're too busy to listen today, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I invited them to. All three of them report that their number one book that's flying off the shelves as a gift, either for somebody else or for themselves, is The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. Wait a minute, what? It's a novel. The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. Really? And it is historical fiction. It came out in 2023. I want to read it now, I admit. Had you heard of it? I had heard of it, but I believe I get a lot of the newer books at the library. So I'm sure there's a whole list on it that's very long. And I will eventually read it. But it's a 2023 historical fiction. It's set in Pennsylvania in the 1920s and 30s. But it starts out with a skeleton found buried in a well in 1972. And so this is a community-based historical fiction figuring out who that skeleton is and then all the people and situations in that town. Do we know the title, what it means? No. We'd have to read the book. We would. But it's a Heaven and Earth Grocery Store. The Heaven and Earth Grocery Store by James McBride. Number one in all, all three stores. All three stores are so enthusiastic about it. Don't miss reading it is the message. Oh, all right. So, do you want me to tell you other titles? Yes, or? please. So, <laughs> at Coalesce... You're too, pol- you're too polite to be a guest here. I'm from Texas. That okay. explains everything. Okay. So, at Coalesce Bookstore in Morrow Bay, the book, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins, which is the prequel dystopian fiction to the hunger games is very popular as a book to give to teens and i wanted to bring that up because last time i was on and we were talking about holiday gifts you had a texter ask what's a good book to give a teen and that was part of my homework before i came back again because i really didn't know what the book of the holiday season was for teens so there's one suggestion if that texter is still listening today. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes tells the story of how Snow, anybody who's read The Hunger Games, the villain of The Hunger Games, is 
Snow, who is played by Donald Sutherland in the movies. It's him as a young man and then all these characters as young people. So I'd like to read that. I really enjoyed The Hunger Games myself, and I read all three of them. So at Volumes of Pleasure in Los Osos, I spoke to Ellen, and at Coalesce, I spoke to Trang. I asked them if I could mention their names, because if anybody's listening who does have a question like you raised at the beginning, how do you choose a book for someone? These booksellers are the people that you can ask for or any bookseller at these bookstores. But I Trang, know Ellen. Ellen's great. Yeah, Trang at Coalesce, Ellen at Volumes of Pleasure. I talked to Sandra at Barnes & Noble. She's the manager there. You can ask for them, and you can say, hey, I know Dave Congleton, and he likes this, and he likes that. And they'll say, who? And and <laughs> suggest a book for me to give to him. And I can say from my own experience, booksellers love that question. That's one of their favorite questions. So at Volumes of Pleasure, Heaven and Earth Grocery Store is the one that their customers are asking for. Then... Ken Follett, all you Ken Follett readers, which I've never read him, he wrote Pillars of the Earth. He has a brand new book in that series called Armor of Light. Did you read Pillars of the Earth, Dave? No, the only one of Ken Follett I've read was Eye of the Needle. So that's not in this series, I don't think. No, this is one of his early ones. It became the movie with Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland Day. There he is again. So... Anyway, for those who like Ken Follett, there's a brand new 2023 book. And then for a teen, 13 and up, there's a Netflix program on called Heartstoppers, which I am not familiar with. I haven't watched it. But that's based on a series of books by Alice Oseman, O-S-E-M-A-N. And this series is highly recommended at Volumes of Pleasure by Ellen, who said they're very busy. They're really busy there. That's good, good, good. So at Barnes of Noble, The Wager, A Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny, and Murder. You've heard me mention that before. That's the new book by David Gran, Killers of the Flower Moon. That one is, in air quotes, flying off the shelves. So... For teens, it's The Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros, Y-A-R-R-O-S. It's a fantasy novel in a series. So it seems to me that teens who are reading like books in a series, and they're interested in fantasies or dystopian. I'm hearing a lot of fantasy here. Yes. Mm. Uh, That says to me, people want to escape from the day-to-day. What's going on in our world? And why not? Yeah. And reading is a good place to escape to. All right, let me pause there. Susan Hoffman is back on this broadcast. We're talking books. We'll pick up the conversations. We continue right here on AM 920, FM 96.5, News Talk, KVEC. This is the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. We're talking books. we got Susan Hoffman here. Here's Alan in San Luis. Hey, Susan. I'm glad you listened in. Hey. Hey. So, so, first suggestion is this. If you have somebody, for example, I'll just say murder mysteries, pick a, pick a category. 
get them an anthology. That way they can sample different authors, say, oh, I like this one, so I'll go buy books by that author. And that way they get a, a taste, a sampler platter, as it were. That's an excellent idea, Alan. I like that idea for a gift, too, because it is a sampler, and then it leads to other books. Alan, do you do audiobooks because of your vision situation? Yes. And so I, so I can devour, I can have several books queued up, and then I just bounce around from to different ones. What are you likely to be enjoying? I, it's a mix, because I do a lot of sci-fi and, and alternative history kind of things. Um, I actually do get into some suspense and mystery things. I like James Patterson, and I, I can try to think of all the other authors. In fact, you were mentioning, Susan, about that the teens like the um, series. Well, someone I haven't suggested before, Eric Flint is the author. He just passed away recently. He has a number of books in this category, but this series is called the Ring of Fire series. Um, here you've got this chunk of property, I think it was in Pennsylvania, all of a sudden finds itself back in the early 1600s. It turns out it ended up swapping with another chunk of matter. Uh, from there, they switch places. This is not giving away anything great. It's just tongue-in-cheek. How this happened was, oh, some aliens were just playing around with something they shouldn't have, and all of a sudden this happened. But once you get out of that to try to explain it, the rest is, how do the people deal with their new place? And it's somewhere in the middle of what becomes Germany. All the interactions that develop and the technology they introduce, and it goes on. There's a number of books. The first one's 1632. And I don't even know how many books there are that go off of that because other uh, writers have written books based on that series. Mm. But Eric Flint is a very good author. You know him, Susan? No, I've never heard of Eric Flint, but I'm going to take a look, Alan, on your recommendation. There well, thank you. All right, Alan, thanks for the call. I want to mention one book, and I just posted a review of this on the website slowreview.org. Um, I went and bought the new book about Siskel and Ebert, the film critics. The author is Matt Singer. It's called Opposable Thumbs. And, of course, uh, Siskel and Ebert were the uh, great movie critics for the Chicago Tribune and the Chicago Sun-Times. And they had their syndicated show for about 24 years. And during the 80s and 90s, they were the preeminent movie critics. They could make or break any Hollywood movie with their thumbs up, thumbs down. And uh, Matt Singer takes you through the whole production of the show and talks about the personal life of Ebert and Siskel and the relationship and talks about the movies that they reviewed. And anybody who loves movies would enjoy getting this book for Christmas. I used to watch that show every time it was on. Were they really good friends? No. God, no. <laughs> that would be my first question. Is, no. I know I, they disagree. I, I, I do think that they came to respect one another. It's kind of like a married couple. You know, anybody, they could fight among themselves, but if anybody attacked them, they were a team. But no, they, they didn't get along at all. Uh, but then uh, Gene, it was very sad because Gene Siskel, he was only 53 when he died of brain cancer. And in the last uh, two years, I think they kind of made peace with each other. But and it's it, just a great, great book. I want to look at that book. I love that show so much. It's a brand new book. It's doing well. It's by Matt Singer. 
Uh, Craig, Craig, what do you? Yeah, they didn't almost hate each other. <laughs> I wouldn't say they hated each other, but it th- there was an extreme. It was not a rivalry. Liking. It was the rivalry. No, a rivalry is somebody it, you don't care yeah. about, and you're competing. They yeah. didn't like each other. From well, what the, from what I've seen, yeah. But I read the book, and it was fueled by the rivalry because when Siskel started at the Tribune in sixty. Nine Roger Ebert was the big fish in town, and Siskel's mission was to kind of take him down. And then five years later, all of a sudden, they're co-hosting a show together. It really was rough because they did not like each other, but they came to respect one another and put differences aside. Yeah, I wouldn't say the entire time, but there was that point where one of them thought the other one was an a-hole and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. So it's just called Opposable Thumbs. Uh, the other book I want to give a shout-out to, I'm just reading it now, the playwright David Mamet has written a book about his years in Hollywood. He's uh, written some great movies from The Untouchables to The Spanish Prisoner. He wrote a book called Everywhere and Oink Oink from the old, um, old McDonald's song. And it's just his experience as a screenwriter in Hollywood. Is that everywhere in Oink Oink a reference no, to that, yeah. being a screenwriter? Yeah. Okay. The pigs. The pigs oh, of Hollywood. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. I've seen that described, and I thought that looked interesting as well. So those are my two recommendations for uh, a gift for anybody in the movies. Opposable Thumbs by Matt Singer and Everywhere in Oink Oink by David Mamet. Two good ones, Dave. Yeah. I got a minute before the news break. Anyone you want to plug? Well, I'll plug this one because I want to see this movie, speaking of movies. I want to see Ferrari, which is coming out on Christmas. It's the new Michael Mann-directed movie. With Adam Driver playing Ferrari. Unrecognizable. I watched the trailer. And a very good cast. But there's a book called Enzo Ferrari, The Man and the Machine by Brock Yates, Y-A-T-E-S. It's a movie tie-in. But it looks really interesting, and Alan, it's on Audible, as well as a paperback edition now. So that would make a good gift book for, for anyone who likes racing. What, what's the appeal for you in 30 seconds? It uh, doesn't strike me as the kind of book you'd want to read. Well, I don't know if I want to read the book, but I am fascinated by the movie, I have to admit. Maybe just because it's a Michael Mann movie. Yep. He had originally, I listened to him describe that he originally was going to make the movie with Sidney Pollock, and it took so long. Sidney Pollock died Five. in the meantime. But the, the qualities of the visual quality of the movie is interesting to me. All right, and Susan Hoffman is always interesting for us. Off we go. We got news, traffic, weather back on the other side. More books and your phone calls still to come. This is Hometown Radio. This is the Dave Congleton Show. We are your hometown radio talk show, and we are in conversation with Susan Hoffman. Every month she comes in, and she shares her passion and love of books. She makes recommendations and reports about what people are reading and what they should be reading. Uh, I mentioned the two books that I'm a big fan of. Susan, anything that you want to mention? Well, I brought two books also. Okay. Little did I know you had two books, but I've got two books. And my favorite book right now 
which I would love to give to anybody that I know likes to read, is Remarkably Bright Creatures. It's a novel by Shelby Van Pelt. It's what I call a word-of-mouth book. It's not something that I'm seeing everywhere that's getting a lot of publicity, but it's being shared word-of-mouth, and if you're in the book-selling business, it's a book that I'd be hand-selling like crazy if I worked in a bookstore right now. So never in my wildest dreams would I think that I would read a book with a narrator one of the narrators, there's multiple narrators, but one of the narrators is an octopus. I would not read a book with uh, animal narrators. I resist dog narrators. But I have to tell you, I am blown away by this book, and I'm learning so much about octopuses. Um that I never knew about, and I moved down here from Monterey, so I went to the Monterey Bay Aquarium. I walked by the octopus, the giant Pacific octopus at the Monterey Aquarium, and really didn't pay much attention. But this book, Remarkably Bright Creatures, is a fiction about a 70-year-old woman, Tova Sullivan. She lives in the Puget Sound area. Her husband has died. And then 30 years ago, her 18-year-old son had mysteriously disappeared without a trace. And so to keep herself busy and perhaps, I would say, sane, she takes a job as a night shift janitor at an aquarium. And she becomes interested in and friends with the giant Pacific octopus. I, from the first page, which I want to share with you in just a little bit, just a little bit of the narration of this octopus, I absolutely, it became a page turner for me because it's humorous, but it's also about loss and grief and it's, makes you think about more than just the story. Um, And what's especially impressive, this is her first novel. It is. It's her first novel. And the interesting thing to me is I'm always interested how an author gets the spark of the idea to start a book. And how she got the idea was she was home during COVID with uh, taking care of her two small children. That's when she decided to write this novel because she saw a viral video about an octopus in the Seattle Aquarium who had tried to make an escape attempt from its tank. And that got her interested. Really? Yes. And that got her interested in octopi. What's the plural of octopus? Octopi. Octopi. Well, it got her interested in octopi. And so in this novel, in this fiction, Marcellus, the octopus, tries to escape from his tank also. And so that's how they become friends. But I wanted to just, is it okay if I just read just a teeny bit? Yes, but repeat the title, please. The title of the book is Remarkably Bright Creatures. It's a novel by Shelby Van Pelt. It's also available on audio if you want to listen to it. But the very first character you meet is the octopus. Day one Day 1,299 of my captivity is the first line of this book. 
Darkness suits me. Each evening I await the click of the overhead lights, leaving only the glow from the main tank. Not perfect, but close enough. Almost darkness, like the middle bottom of the sea. I lived there before I was captured and imprisoned. I cannot remember, yet I can still taste the untamed currents of the cold open water. Darkness runs through my blood. Who am I, you ask? My name is Marcellus, but most humans do not call me that. Typically they call me that guy. For example, look at that guy. There he is. You can just see his tentacles behind the rock. I am a giant Pacific opti octopus. I know this from the plaque on the wall beside my enclosure. I know what you are thinking. Yes, I can read. I can do many things you would not expect. The plaque states other facts, my size, preferred diet, and where I might live were I not a prisoner here. It mentions my intellectual prowess and penchant for cleverness, which for some reason seems a surprise to humans. Octopuses are remarkably bright creatures, it says. So that's the introduction to the book. That's Hooks the you from the beginning. Hooks you from the beginning. Oh, I can't put it down, and I've learned so much. I could see an agent getting that submission and by page three saying, get a contract. Well, I don't, I don't know. I do. But maybe. I no, mean, I can, maybe. Just from that, that introduction, that hooks me. It did me, too. And it hooked me. I was so surprised. It hooked me emotionally. Yep. Because here's already established a captured creature who wants to be free and i found out that an octopus a giant pacific octopus can only live about four years it has three hearts they are incredibly intelligent they do try to escape their tanks if given a little oh they can open a childproof lid on a medicine bottle they try to open little boxes, like if one's lowered down to them. They take the lid off. They can use small tools. It's amazing. This is Remarkably Bright remarkably bright Creatures is the novel. And the Shelby Van Pelt? Her first book. What's the second book you want to talk about? The second book I want to talk about is The Atomic City Girls. It's historical fiction. It's by Janet Beard. And again, this is something I was interested in after watching the movie, um, the Oppenheimer movie. I wanted to know more about the whole project to develop the bomb. I had really never read that much, and I thought that I would read American Prometheus and soon figured out not for me. But this book is, and I did learn things that I didn't know, and the main thing that I didn't know I, I grew up in Texas, right by Tennessee. In Tennessee, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, which is close to Knoxville, Tennessee, was selected. Farmland was selected in 1942. The federal government purchased 60,000 acres of farmland for a planned city, which was a secret city. It had the nicknames Atomic City, Secret City, City Behind the Fence, not City Behind city by the bay but city behind the fence and they were building small homes and buildings to develop the bomb they created a city at a rapid pace and they recruited lots of young women from tennessee countryside and all over to come work there and these women watched dials on a wall each woman had a cubicle where she was watching dials but the dials were attached to 
a cal- calutron which was splitting and in splitting and creating uranium to be used in New Mexico for the actual bomb. So this is um, a history of women that I certainly, as a woman, have never heard of. I never studied it in school, and it's a very well written novel. It's multiple characters, multiple points of view, a physicist who's helping develop the bomb, these women, and then the whole thing is a secret. Nobody knows what the other person is doing, and they're not allowed to talk about it. If they mention anything, they have to leave immediately. This is interesting to me. This is the second book you've mentioned with multiple points of view. Yes, multiple points of view. Do you see more and more of that in the books? Yes, I don't see a lot of linear storytelling, although this is a linear. I guess both of these books are linear, though. But there are definitely multiple points of view. Atomic City Girls. The Atomic City Girls, a novel by Janet Beard. It's absolutely worth reading, and it's fascinating. I learned about uranium, and I learned about the bomb, but this is from the point of view of these young girls, like one of the main characters, Jane, is 18 years old. Her grandfather had a farm, and the government put a note on his door saying, we're taking this land, you're going to have to move. Um, the whole thing was a secret because they were racing to build the bomb before anybody else in the world, the Nazis, and so, Nazis in particular, but... It's really an amazingly told little novel. So, All right, Susan Hoffman is here with uh, book recommendations for the holidays. You know, we've got a couple of days off. You're wondering what you're going to do. Well, uh, curl up with a good book. We'll come back for a final segment on AM 920, FM 96.5, News Talk, KVEC. On the text line for Susan Hoffman, I tend to enjoy nonfiction, historical novels like American Prometheus. I feel like I'm learning something and then find them more fascinating than any fiction novel. Yes, but I would I would counter by saying the examples that Susan just gave, and you're learning about octopuses, octo, octopi, octopi, and then in the other one, you're learning all about uranium. So you can learn from fiction. Yes, definitely. I one of my favorite genres is historical fiction. So, I agree with the texter and I agree with you. If you want in on the conversation, join us 805-543-8830. Lance is back with us. Hey Lance. Hey Dave. Hey, Lance. You know, hey, Lance. Uh, Girls of the Atom- Girls of Atomic City, incredible book. And when you mentioned that, I had to call in cuz two other ones when you talked about American Prometheus as a big book, um, the one that's uh, The Making of the Atomic Bomb by Richard Rhodes was another book like that that's big, but it's it's an incredible history book because it talks not only about the scientists, it talks about the even the back in the family, back when they were born, uh, book on all the all the way up through the dropping of the bomb and the aftermath of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, a great read, great history. The other book, though, if you liked Girls of Atomic City, 109 East Palace by uh, Jeanette Cunnett, whose grandfather yeah. was at Los Alamos. 
Oh, those all sound really interesting. I would like to learn more about Los Alamos. Then I'll tell you, it's 109 East Palace, and you can actually go to the building in Santa Fe because that's the address of the building in Santa Fe uh, where everybody that was going up to Los Alamos um, entered before they went up. Hmm. That sounds... And, yeah... yeah, if you're in Santa Fe, go and see it. It's a little dress shop, but they know what the building is, and they actually sell the book there in the dress shop. I love it. In the dress shop. That's great. Yeah, because they, because they know the historic fact of, of, the, of that address in the building uh, there. But, uh, yeah, 109 East Palace, and the other one, if you really want a long history, is The Making of the Atomic Bomb by uh, Richard Rhodes. Thank you. To a great recommendation. Lance, thank you. Here she is. It's the babe. Hey, babe. Babe. Hey there, babe. Hey, babe. Hey there, Susan. Hey. It's wonderful to hear you all. Hey, thank you for the wonderful books, Susan and Dave. The recommendations are super. Um, I'm really eager to read the octopus book that Susan mentioned. That sounds fantastic. And yeah, it as does. far as Oak Ridge, Tennessee, hon, I'm from Nashville. When I was young, when we used to drive south, we used to drive through that area. It's in the Appalachian area, and there was no, it was before Oak Ridge was really at its peak, but it was fenced off and along the back roads before I-40 went through there. um, There were the cabins where the fox furs hung up for sale and the quilts made by the homeowners. It was a beautiful area. It's really gorgeous. And these books are exciting. Thank you so much. You really made my day. Thank you a lot. Well, well. But, but, but you. Stay with us, babe. What are you reading? Right now, yeah. I'm, um, I'm not reading anything right now except menus because <laughs> everything from my homemade eggnog for New Year's to split pea soup that I made today. Good things like that, and matzo ball soup last week. So it was really recipes. Thanks for asking, though. <laughs> all right. Good to hear take from you, care, babe. You all. Good you to hear take from care. you. Anybody else? Eight zero five five four three eight eight three zero. Otherwise, Susan, what else is on your recommendation list? So here's another book that just took off on its own and is now at the top of a lot of bestseller lists. It's called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Well, I've heard of this. Everybody is talking about it. Gabriel Zevin, Z-E-V-I-N, is the author. It's fiction. And I, again, am, have learned from it because I'm not a video game player. So this book is about three brilliant kids who found a video game company. And it has become a surprise bestseller. So it has a lot of information about a video game that my son played. I remember Zelda, the Zelda, which is a 1986 video game from that started the whole video game, as I understand it, started the whole video game careers and business. And it started in Japan and is to this day still popular. But I don't really know that much about video games. I've never really been interested in them. But this is a book about 
three main characters who want to do that for a career, and it's about their relationship and how they do it. And it has a lot of information about the history of video games, if, you're, if that's your thing. Any sense as to why this has taken off? No. Hmm. Do you have any no. thoughts? I have no idea. I don't know. It seems to be something that a lot of people are interested in, maybe because they're interested in video games. But it's a cross, it's what I call a crossover book, so it would make a great gift for an adult, or it would make a teen gift. I think this is a way that would be a way for parents, grandparents to engage their teen in their life to read a book. I think they would enjoy this one. Okay. So, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. And I also want to mention a book that Barnes & Noble chose on their online site of gift-giving for this holiday season, an old book by Michael Crichton, Sphere. That came out in 1987. And Michael Crichton, again, name-dropping my son again, Michael Crichton was an author when he was a young teen. He went through the entire bookshelf of Michael Crichton in the bookstore that I worked at. He read one right after another. That's a lot. And so Sphere was one of those books. And it's about a group of scientists who travel to the bottom of the Pacific where they find an enormous spaceship. And it turns out to be a U.S. spacecraft from the future sent through time with a message for humans and a power for humans. And so, spoiler alert, the power is imagination. So I wanted to bring this up because, again, this would be a crossover, what I would call a crossover book if there's an adult that's interested in science fiction, time travel. This book, I think, would be interested, though outdated. I'm sure this the science in it is probably outdated. Yeah, to but some Michael extent. Crichton's a great writer. Did you read Michael Crichton? Uh, I've read I've read a couple of his. Yeah. Well, some of the science I think might be outdated in all his books, but maybe not. But I find this an interesting book to be becoming popular again when the story is about that the a great power that humans have and can have is imagination because that's something that I also believe and it's why I read so much and why I find books so incredibly valuable is because of imagination. The one of his I remember is Andromeda Strain. Yes. I read that. And actually he wrote this book Sphere as a companion piece to Andromeda Strain. So he really wrote this book, Sphere, in 1967. Andromeda Strain came out in 1969. It was made into a movie. Sphere was also made into a, a really bad movie. But uh, it, it was, was made movie. into a movie huh. with, with Dustin Hoffman. Oh, that's right. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. I watched it, but mm, I haven't read I'm the sorry. book. That's two hours you'll never get back. It is. We got a couple of minutes left, Susan. I I think another point we should make, though, what about giving classics as gifts? I mean, whether it's Fahrenheit 451 or To Kill a Mockingbird or blank, 
introducing a young person to a classic book. It's, it's, what do you think of that? I think it's a great idea. And actually, when I was walking to my car last time and after the person who texted in asking for a recommendation for a teen, I was walking to my car and it just hit me that I had visited volumes of pleasure and talked to Christopher. And he was saying how their classic section is making a comeback. And who is it making a comeback with? Teens in that area are coming into the store to to ask to read classics on their own for their own reading interests. So yes, classics would make a great gift. And Phoenix Used Bookstore in downtown Slow would be the place to go for that. Let's squeeze in a call from Bob in San Luis. Hey, Bob. Hey, Dave. Hi, Bob. Uh, Hi, Bob. Uh, regarding the popularity of the Zelda yeah. uh, games and whatnot, uh, my two sons in their 40s played Zelda when it came out. And the Zelda game was developed and redone based on new systems that came out. So they were constantly refining the game, and it's just evolved. It's got a very long lifespan, and a lot of kids play it growing up. And I think a lot of people, uh, millennials in particular, would probably like this based on the fact that it has such a fond memory for them. Well, my son uh, is 42, so he fits right in with what you're saying. Yep, exactly. I must have missed out yeah, on he, that. He, <laughs> I must yeah. have missed out on that. Bob, thank you. We're almost out of time. Let's remind folks, my two books that I'm recommending, Opposable Thumbs by Matt Singer, the story of Siskel and Ebert, the movie critics. Also, David Mamet's uh, memoir of being a Hollywood screenwriter called Everywhere and Oink Oink. And my two books are both fiction books. Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby Van Pelt and The Atomic City Girls by Janet Beard. You know, I bet I bet we could get an interview with Shelby Van Pelt and you could come in and sit in with me. I would be thrilled. About, yeah, she's a first timer. And she I mean, you know, be harder to get if she's a veteran public and I'm from Chicago, so she lives in Chicago now. Right. But I got to read the book first. So, uh, and support your bookstores. Get to uh, Volumes of Pleasure and Coalesce and Barnes and Noble and, and Phoenix get in there. and Phoenix. Phoenix. Yep. Books. yep, yep, and Nans uh, down in Grover yes. Beach. Uh, final thoughts, my friend. Support your local bookstore, and thank you, Dave, for Hometown Radio and coming on all this year to talk about books. That's Happy all you got? holidays. Oh, I thought you what were you gesturing reading? I was no, done. No, ha- What are you reading next? Happy holidays to you, Dave. You are awesome. You're awesome. What's, what, what are you reading next? What's next on your list? I have no idea. I've got a stack at home, and it's whichever one is going to call my name. You ever read, reread a book? Yes. In fact, I read Atomic City Girls right here twice, and I got more out of it the second time than I did the first. It's like watching a movie. All right, Susan, thank you. Off we go. News, traffic, weather. The attorney's up next. Stick around. I'm Dave Congleton. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Wazy. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kbec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.